0: Whereas a woman who could cheerfully use the same computer for 53 years will rearrange her furniture on almost a weekly basis, sometimes in the dead of night. She'll be sound asleep in bed, and suddenly at 2 a.m. she'll be awakened by the urgent thought, the blue-green sofa needs to go perpendicular to the wall instead of parallel, and it needs to go there right now. So she'll get up and move it, which of course necessitates moving other furniture, and soon she has rearranged her entire living room, shifting great, big, heavy pieces that ordinarily would require several burly men to lift because there are few forces in nature more powerful than a woman who needs to rearrange furniture. I realize I'm making gender-based generalizations here, but my feeling is that if God did not want us to make gender-based generalizations, she would not have given us genders. Two, guys like a really pointless challenge. Not long ago, I was sitting in my office at the Miami Herald Sunday magazine, Tropic, reading my fan mail, which usually consists of stuff like, Who cuts your hair? Beavers? when I heard several of my co-workers in the hallway talking about how fast they could run the 40-yard dash. These are guys in their 30s and 40s who work in journalism, where the most demanding physical requirement is the ability to digest vending machine food. In other words, these guys have absolutely no need to run the 40-yard dash. But one of them, Mike Wilson, was writing a story about a star high school football player who could run it in 4.38 seconds. Now, if Mike had written a story about, say, a star high school poet... None of my guy co-workers would have suddenly decided to find out how well they could write sonnets. But when Mike turned in his story, they became deeply concerned about how fast they could run the 40-yard dash. They were so concerned that the magazine editor, Tom Schroeder, decided that they should get out a stopwatch and go out to a nearby park and find out. Which they did, a bunch of guys taking off their shoes and running around barefoot in a public park on company time. This is what I heard them talking about out in the hall. I heard Tom, who was 38 years old, saying that his time in the 40 had been 5.75 seconds. And I thought to myself, this is ridiculous. These are middle-aged guys, supposedly adults, and they're out there bragging about their performance in this stupid juvenile foot race. Finally, I couldn't stand it anymore. Hey, I shouted, I could beat 5.75 seconds. So we went out to the park and measured off 40 yards, and the guys told me that I had three chances to make my best time. On the first try, my time was 5.78 seconds, just three hundredths of a second slower than Tom's, even though, at 45, I was seven years older than he. So I just knew I'd beat him on the second attempt if I ran really, really hard, which I did for a solid 10 yards, at which point my left hamstring muscle, which had not yet shifted into sprint mode from mail reading mode, went, and I quote, pop. I had to be helped off the field. I was in considerable pain, and I was obviously not going to be able to walk right for weeks. The other guys were very sympathetic, especially Tom, who took the time to call me at home, where I was sitting with an ice pack on my leg and 23 Advil in my bloodstream, so he could express his concern. Just remember, he said, you didn't beat my time. There are countless other examples of guys rising to meet pointless challenges. Virtually all sports fall into this category, as well as a large part of U.S. foreign policy. I'll bet you can't capture Manuel Noriega. Oh, yeah? Three. Guys do not have a rigid and well-defined moral code. The basic human moral code was invented by women millions of years ago when all the guys were out engaging in some other activity, such as seeing who could burp the loudest. When they came back, there were certain rules that they were expected to follow unless they wanted to get into big trouble. And they've been trying to follow these rules ever since with extremely irregular results. Because guys have never internalized these rules. Guys are similar to my small auxiliary backup dog, Zippy, a guy dog who has been told numerous times that he is not supposed to, one, get into the kitchen garbage, or two, poop on the floor. He knows that these are the rules, but he has never really understood why, and sometimes he gets to thinking. Sure, ordinarily I'm not supposed to get into the garbage, but obviously this rule is not meant to apply when there are certain extenuating circumstances, such as, one, the humans just threw away some perfectly good seven-week-old Kung Pao chicken, And two, they're not home. And so when I come home, the kitchen floor has been transformed into Garbage Fest USA. And Zippy, who usually comes rushing up to greet me, is off in a corner disguised in a wig and sunglasses, hoping to get into the federal bad dog relocation program before I discover the scene of the crime. When I yell at him, he frequently becomes so upset that he poops on the floor. Morally, most guys are just like Zippy, only taller and usually less hairy. Guys are aware of the rules of moral behavior, but they have trouble keeping these rules in the forefronts of their minds at certain times, especially the present. This is especially true in the area of faithfulness to one's mate. I realize, of course, that there are countless examples of guys being faithful to their mates until they die, usually as a result of being eaten by their mates immediately following copulation. Guys outside of the spider community, however, do not have a terrific record of faithfulness. I'm not saying guys are scum. I'm saying that many guys who consider themselves to be committed to their marriages will stray if they're confronted with overwhelming temptation defined as virtually any temptation. Okay, so maybe I am saying guys are scum, but they're not mean-spirited scum, and few of them, even when they are out of town on business trips far from their wives and have a clear-cut opportunity, will poop on the floor. 4. Guys are not great at communicating their intimate feelings, assuming they have any. This is an aspect of guyhood that is very frustrating to women. A guy will be reading the newspaper and the phone will ring. He'll answer it, listen for 10 minutes, hang up and resume reading. Finally, his wife will say, who is that? And he'll say, Phil Wonkerman's mom. Phil is an old friend they haven't heard from in 17 years. So the wife will say, well, and the guy will say, well, what? And the wife will say, well, what did she say? And the guy will say, she said Phil's fine making it clear by his tone of voice that although he does not wish to be rude, he is trying to read the newspaper and he happens to be right in the middle of an important panel of Calvin and Hobbes. But the wife, ignoring this, will say, that's all she said? And she will not let up. She will continue to ask district attorney-style questions, forcing the guy to recount the conversation until she's satisfied that she has the entire story, which is that Phil just got out of prison after serving a sentence for a murder he committed when he became a drug addict because of the guilt he felt When his wife died in a freak submarine accident, when Phil was having an affair with a nun, but now he's all straightened out and has a good job as a trapeze artist and is almost through with the surgical part of his sex change and recently became happily engaged to marry a prominent member of the Grateful Dead. So in other words, he is fine, which is exactly what the guy told her in the first place. But is that enough? No. She wants to hear every single detail. Or let's say two couples get together after a long separation. The two women will have a conversation lasting several days during which they will discuss virtually every significant event that has occurred in their lives and the lives of those they care about, sharing their innermost thoughts, analyzing and probing, inevitably coming to a deeper understanding of each other and a strengthening of a cherished friendship, whereas the two men will watch the playoffs. This is not to say the men won't share their feelings. Sometimes they'll get quite emotional. That's not a foul, they'll say, or you're telling me that's not a foul? I have a good friend, Gene, and one time when he was going through a major medical development in his life, we spent a weekend together. During this time, Gene and I talked a lot and enjoyed each other's company immensely. But this is true. The most intimate personal statement he made to me is that he had reached level 24 of a video game called Arkanoid. He had even seen the evil presence, although he refused to tell me what it looks like. We're very close, but there is a limit. You may think that my friends and I are Neanderthals and that a lot of guys are different, this is true. A lot of guys don't use words at all. They communicate entirely by nonverbal methods, such as sharing bait. Are you starting to see what I mean by guyness? I'm basically talking about the part of the male psyche that is less serious and or aggressive than the manly manhood part, but still essentially very male. My feeling is that the world would be a much better place if more males would stop trying so hard to be men and instead settle for being guys. Think of the historical problems that could have been avoided if more males had been able to keep their genderhood in its proper perspective, both in themselves and in others. Hey, Adolf, just because you happen to possess a set of minor and frequently unreliable organs, that is no reason to invade Poland. And think about how much happier women would be if, instead of endlessly fretting about what the males in their lives are thinking, they could relax, secure in the knowledge that the correct answer is very little. Yes, what we need on the part of both genders is more understanding of guyness. And that's why I wrote this audio book. This book will explore in detail every major facet of guyhood, including the historical facet, the sociological facet, the physiological facet, the psychosexual facet, and the facet of how come guys spit so much. Every statement of fact you will hear in this book is either based on actual laboratory tests or else I made it up. But you can trust me. I'm a guy.
1: Chapter 1 The role of guys in history. Men went to the moon, but guys invented mooning. Guys have played an important role in history, but this role has not been given the attention it deserves because nobody wrote it down. Guys are not conscientious about writing. Take thank you notes. When a couple gets married, the bride very quickly, sometimes right after her new husband passes out in their honeymoon sweet hot tub, starts composing personalized notes, thanking their wedding guests for all the lovely gifts. I didn't know they even made a traveling case for the salad shooter. The bride will keep this up until she has written every single guest. If it was a really big wedding, she may still be thanking people after the divorce. Aunt Esther, the meat fork is beautiful, and I expect to get many happy years of use from it once the surgeons extract it from Roger. Very few guys write thank-you notes or any other kind of note. I am a paid professional writer... And I almost never send notes, whereas my wife is very conscientious about keeping in touch with friends and relatives. Beth, well, I sent notes and Christmas gifts to Phil and Sam and their families. Me, Phil and Sam? Beth, your brothers. Me, I have brothers? Okay, I'm exaggerating here. I know I have brothers, I just sometimes forget their names. But my point is that because guys don't write things down, they are not well represented in history books. You'll find countless references to men, however, because men like to record every detail of their lives for posterity. Alexander the Great, for example, kept a diary so that today we can read in his own handwriting exactly what he was doing on any given day, as shown by these actual excerpts. 327 BC, November 4th, cloudy today, conquered Asia Minor, 324 BC, January 6th, note, Find out what BC stands for. 323 BC, May 17th, died at an early age. But what about the average guy in Alexander the Great's army? What about his contributions to history? Yes, it is important that Alexander extended the influence of such legendary Greek philosophers as Aristotle throughout most of the civilized world, thus significantly affecting the development of Western thought and culture to this very day. But is it not also important that, at the same time, some of his lowly foot soldiers were perfecting the rubber spear trick or determining that the letters in Aristotle can be rearranged to spell a tit loser? That is the kind of historical guy accomplishment I'm going to explore in this chapter, starting with a discussion of prehistoric guys. Prehistory was a very difficult time for humans. Hostile, vicious, person-eating predators roamed the earth. Disease was rampant. Mortality rates were horrific. The automatic bank teller was still only a dream. Back then, the clan was the basic unit of society, with the roles of males and females clearly defined. The females cared for the young and gathered roots, which they would soak in water, then peel, then painstakingly pound for hours between two heavy rocks, and finally throw away. We may be primitive, but we're not stupid enough to eat roots, was their feeling. Thus, the basic food-gathering responsibility fell on the shoulder of the males, who would go off for days at a time to hunt the mighty dinosaur. This was hard work. They had to dig an enormous deep hole, then disguise it by covering it with frail branches then hide in the bushes, waiting for a mighty dinosaur to come along and fall into the trap. The hunters often waited for long periods because, unbeknownst to them, dinosaurs had become extinct several million years earlier. So the males sat around a lot. Some of them eventually became fidgety and went on to develop agriculture, invent primitive tools, etc. But some males, these were the original guys, really liked sitting around. Eventually, they stopped bothering to dig the hole. They'd just go out into the woods and sit. It's not easy trying to catch dinosaurs, they would tell people, especially their wives. But if we don't do it, who will? They never helped with the roots. Sitting around for no reason under the guise of being engaged in productive work was the first real guy contribution to human civilization, forming the underlying basis for many modern institutions and activities such as fishing, sales conferences, highway maintenance, the federal government, and customer service. This is not to say that prehistoric guys did nothing but sit around. They also invented an activity that has become one of the most dominant forms of guy behavior, now accounting for an estimated 178 trillion guy hours per year in the United States alone. The activity I am referring to, of course, is guys scratching their personal regions. And when I say scratching, I am not talking about a couple of quick, discreet swipes with the fingernails to relieve a momentary itch. I'm talking about an activity that guys spend way more time and energy on than they do on, for example, home maintenance. Walk around any populated area and you'll see dozens, maybe hundreds of guys engaged in scratching themselves. Some will try to be subtle, but usually once they get going, they completely lose track of where they are. Before long, they're rooting around in their pants, using both hands, garden implements, etc., totally oblivious to the world around them. This can lead to trouble. First Mate on the Titanic, Sir, don't you think we should do something about it? Maybe change direction, sir? Captain, Scratch, 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 scratch. One time in the 1970s, I was watching a Philadelphia Phillies game on television, and at a key moment, the Phillies manager, Danny Ozark,